Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and Merry Christmas. We have gathered tonight to adore our newborn King. I want to thank our, our choir, our ministers of music, and all of you for being here tonight as we exalt the name of the Lord our God and we lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Our scripture this evening comes to us again from the book of John, the Gospel of John, beginning in the first chapter. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the incarnation as God's revelation, that is a communication to us of who he is and what he wants us to know about himself. And once again, we turn to John's Gospel to hear about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has come to present to us about God the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Push away the gloom of night by the light of your newborn son. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. For the first 27 years of my marriage, I've been responsible for hanging the exterior Christmas lights at our house. Our lights are not elaborate, nothing like the lights of Clark Griswold in Christmas Vacation, but they're enough to light up our yard and our house and our little corner of the world, even extending a little bit to our neighbors and a little bit of our neighborhood. Now, hanging the lights at my house involves hanging strings of those little icicles, those little strings all under the eaves of the house, and then spreading those nets of lights over the shrubbery out in front. And then it's kind of capstoned with, a, with the centerpiece of this beautiful old Moravian star that was given to us as a wedding pre present many years ago. So as I said, the setup isn't elaborate. And I had some people in the early service saying, oh, I can't wait to drive by your house and see the lights. You will be disappointed. The buildup in this sermon is way too big. But even though they're not elaborate, they're pretty. And I like them. And I, I love Christmas lights. I mean, I love the new lights that we have out here in front of the church and in on the Avenue E entrance. And I, I love going down to the river walk and seeing all the lights up and down the river. And, and I love going over to the botanical gardens and seeing the beautiful displays over there. And I just like the little, the little twinkling lights that you see in people's yards and hung in different places. I, I'm, I'm like a dog or a monkey. I just love those little lights flashing everywhere. I guess the point is I just like Christmas lights. So I love those lights, but I have to admit, 
putting them up can be something of a chore. How many of you all are responsible for hanging the lights at your house? How many of you look forward to the hanging part of it? <laughs> it's one thing to enjoy the lights when they're up, but getting there, well, that's, that's different. I mean, it, it requires, because I do this myself, it requires you know, pulling out ladders and running extension cords, and then it re requires investigating every single little bulb and fuse, these tiny little bulbs and fuses to find out why that section of the string is out. I thought they fixed all that about 50 years ago, but for some reason, there's still the portions of it that go out, and then they come on, and then they go out again. But I digress. The point is, it can be a pain, but I love the end product, especially when they light up the neighborhood. But depending on the weather and the condition of those hundreds of lights, sometimes putting them up just seems like more work than fun. And so I always ask myself every year, why do we hang these Christmas lights? Why is that important? Why do we do that? Is it important? Well, I believe it is important, and I believe it's important for this reason. It's because light is, a, is critical, a critical element to our understanding of Christmas. Hanging lights is not just pretty, although it is beautiful. And it's not just something we do because we've always done it. And it's not just sentimental, even though it brings back all these great memories. Here's the reason we hang lights at Christmas. We hang lights at Christmas because hanging lights is a declaration. A declaration that the divine light of God has come into the world in human form. Son of God, son of man, flesh and blood and light. So that means that these lights, they're not just ornaments, they're a sign. They're a sign pointing to something else. Of all of our Christmas decorations, from wreaths to garland to, to all the other things, the trees we put up, lights are the only Christmas decoration that are mentioned in the Bible. Consider this, Christmas comes right after the winter solstice. It's a festival of light to dispel the gloom right after the longest and darkest night of the year. And whereas Matthew and Luke tell the story of the birth of Jesus in a narrative, historical way, John is much more circumspect. He's more philosophical. When the, gospel, when the, when the apostle John described the coming of the Son of God, he described it in terms of light. True light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Once again, John, using the simplest language to describe the weightiest doctrines. John describes the coming of Jesus in terms of light and darkness. Why? Because the juxtaposition of light and darkness is one of the oldest and most deeply ingrained images of the human psyche. People understand the difference between dark and light. They associate it with good and evil, with fair and foul, with healthy and unhealthy, with fear and joy. The symbolic usage of light and darkness for good and evil is almost universal. And with these simple descriptions, Jesus, uh, John is saying that if light is symbolic of goodness and truth and knowledge and wisdom and love, then Jesus is the reality behind the symbol. He is the brightness 
captured in the word light. He is the heat represented by the word fire. He is the knowledge represented by the word truth. He is the comfort and the sacrifice behind the word love. He is the power represented by the word God. And he is the beauty and the blessing behind the word good. Jesus is the light. In John 8, 12, the Lord would say it himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says that he is the light of the world, not just a light, one possible light among others. He is the light. Other lights may shine, but none other is like his. He has no shadow because there is no light greater, brighter than his. And he was saying that without him, we are in utter darkness. But with him, we will not walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life. He is saying that he is as necessary to our knowledge, to our vision, as light is to seeing to our sight. When Jesus said that he is the light of the world, he was declaring that he came so that we might have a new way of seeing the world, not through the hazy darkness of sin and temptation or race and politics or greed and poverty or tragedy or suffering, but through the clarity of his love and his truth. By his light, Jesus came to push away the darkness so that we could see ourselves rightly as God sees us, as his beloved children, broken, yes, by ignorance and fear and guilt and pain, broken by our own sin and selfishness, and yet, and yet more loved than we could ever possibly imagine, as only a father could love his child infinitely greater and more tender than we might ever think. And he came to push away the darkness so that we would see our world rightly. So that we would see other people. So that we would see events. So that we would even see tragedies as God sees them. Not with our limited perception, but with his eternal perception. And most of all, Jesus came to push away the darkness so that we would see God rightly for who he actually is and not just for whom people think that he is or make him out to be. God became human so that we could see God, not only in his holiness, but in his humility, not only in his power, but in his love. And therefore rightly know his will and his grace and his glory. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. He is the light 
by which we see reality as it really is. The reality of God, the reality of our world, the reality of ourselves as God sees them. John 1.9 says this, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. John says this because he wants us to know that the baby described by Luke and Matthew was not just a baby. He was the light of the world. And so to me, every time you see a light at Christmas, it should be like you're seeing a sign. It should be like you're seeing a symbol. It should be like you're seeing a cross. It should be like a little sign, a little arrow pointing to the birth of Christ in the same way that an empty cross reminds us of Easter, of his death and his resurrection. In the same way, those lights, every light we see, should remind us of the coming of the Son of God into the world. Big lights, little lights, tiny lights, white lights, blue lights, red lights, green lights, bulbs and candles and strings and nets or lamps. Whatever form those lights take, all those little flashing lights become little flashing arrows pointing to Bethlehem and the birth of the Savior and the light that has come into the world. But John also said this, in him was life and the life was the light of men. As I've said, for the first 27 years of our marriage, I've been responsible for hanging the exterior Christmas lights at our house. About four or five years ago, I started asking my son, Bo, to come out and help me hang the lights. At first, he would mainly observe as I would explain what I, as I, would explain what I was doing. The next year, he helped me pull those big crates out of the attic and untangle all those strings and nets and move the ladders and run the extension cords. And as the years rolled by, he began to help me even to, pro to troubleshoot little problem areas. And he always had the privilege of being the first to see the lights come on. But then something funny happened last year. Last year, as I was pulling things together, Boat kind of started to take over. He started saying things like, well, we've always done it this way. Or that's not the way we do it. We did it like this year and the year, the last year and the year before. You know, I hate to admit it, but sometimes he was right. He'd not only been helping, he'd been observing. He'd been paying attention and he had been learning. Now, at one point, we were discussing a disagreement. <laughs> and, and he made this statement. He said, I've done this every year. And I argued back, no, I've done this every year and you've helped. <laughs> so it was really funny when, he start, when we started talking about putting up the lights this year and Bo said, don't worry, I've done it every year. That's my job. And my first impulse was again to say, no, I've done it every year and you've helped. But it was kind of like this little tiny Christmas light bulb came on in my brain. And instead of saying that, I said, you're right. It's your job. When are you going to do it? And how can I help? 
So you know what? Now it's his job. <laughs> all the ladders and extension cords and all the little faulty lights and fuses, that's his now. After 27 years, the torch has been passed. Bo has taken over hanging the Christmas lights. It's now his responsibility. And Bo, if you are watching online because he's at his grandparents' house with his mom and his sister, hear it now. his responsibility. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But listen to what else Jesus said. Listen to what Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor did people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, in one place, Jesus says that he is the light of the world, and in another place, he says that we are are the light of the world. That you, you are the light of the world. We understand that in the South. That's plural in Greek, it's y'all. Y'all are the light of the world. But which is it? Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And then he says, we're the light of the world. Which is it? Well, it's both. He is the light of the world, but we also are the light of the world. That's not to say that we are the same as Christ. Rather, it is saying that this is one aspect of his mission that Jesus has commissioned the church to fulfill. Compared to him, to his brilliant, blinding, galaxy-humbling glory, we are nothing. But in the darkness, we're like a flashlight. You know, I have a friend who once got stuck in an elevator during a power failure. And at first, in the elevator among these other people, these strangers, there was this, this panic as several of those strangers started to talk at once and get very antsy. And then my friend remembered that she had this tiny flashlight in her purse. And so she pulled it out and she turned it on. And when the light came on, it was like the fear dissipated. And during the 45 minutes that they were stuck together in that dark place with only the flashlight, they told jokes they told stories about their families, and they laughed. Even that little pocketbook flashlight was able to push aside the darkness. As light, we dissipate fear. We bring relief. We lift spirits. You don't have to be as big as Jesus to be effective. You just have to be on. Jesus restored humanity so that humanity could reflect the glory of God. In the beginning, we were created in God's image to reflect his glory. And now through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ, that which was lost has been restored. Jesus, the light of the world, came so that we could become the light of the world. The Christmas story tells us that after the shepherds saw the Christ child, 
they went and they told everyone they knew what they had seen. The angels told the shepherds and the shepherds told the world. They didn't just see the light, they became the light. Now, our job is the same as the shepherds. Not only to go and see, but also to go and tell. Hanging the Christmas lights is now Bo's responsibility. He saw me do it. He did it with me. And now it's his job. His job to share the light with our neighbors. The light has come. The angels have shown us. The shepherds have shown us. John has shown us. Matthew has shown us. Luke has shown us. Mark and Paul and Peter have shown us. For the last 2,000 years, the great saints of the church, humble and famous, familiar and obscure, have been declaring that Jesus Christ, the light, has come into the world. And Jesus not only gives us the light of life, he also gives us the life of of light. Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, but now it's your job to share that light. We, you and me, the church, we are God's plan for bringing light to the world. 175 years ago, John McCullough and the founders of this church came to San Antonio to declare that the light has come and the darkness shall not overcome it. Generations of parents, of mentors, of friends, of elders, of deacons, of missionaries, of teachers, of men and women and pastors have been telling the story, teaching the word, showing the love, lighting candles and turning on flashlights in the darkness and hanging lights to say that the Savior is born, to be a sign, to remind the world that the Savior is born, that he is real, that he loves us, that he gave his life and was raised from the dead to prove it, that he has the power to make a difference in our lives and in our world now and forever. And even though much of our celebration of Christmas looks backward into the history of, to the, of the birth of Christ 2,000 years ago. Understanding the light means understanding that we know that he is coming again. And at that time, the light will not be like little twinkling Christmas lights or a flickering candle, but like the unstoppable dawn that pushes away the darkness like a tide. John said, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. No, darkness, not even the darkness and uncertainty of the past two years will overcome it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And now he says, you are the light of the world. Now, it's your turn. Now, it's your job. Will you pray with me? 
Oh Lord, you have called us not only to be your people, but to be the light of the world. Oh Lord, kindle that flame in us so that we may shine with your glory and bring your love into a world that desperately needs for the darkness to be dispelled. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.